What, uh, what an awesome morning. Praise God uh, for the gift of baptism. And again, we want to welcome you here. Uh, we don't get to do this every day, and it's not an obstacle course to get to worship every day uh, either. But we're thankful that you're here uh, and want to welcome you again. If this is your first time here or your hundredth time here, we believe it is no accident that you're here. One of my favorite things about baptism is that it's a big surprise from God. There's some of you out there right now that are thinking, oh, that was so special. That was so cute. She's got her little white dress on. This is great. Baptism is all about these cute little kids. And you know what God says to you this morning? Surprise! Surprise! It's actually all about you. What we just experienced up here, the gift of baptism, the message of holy baptism, is actually all about you. Baptism is about saying she is now a part of God's family. God is saying, you are mine. I have called you by name. This is what I love about baptism, is that you are not passive spectators here this morning, but you are more a part of this than you know. If you think about it, what I want to talk about today is the power of labels and the power of names. It's as if, I've got a couple of these, hello, my name is name tags up here. You've all seen these before. You've maybe been around church long enough. You peel one of those off and you stick it on you. At its core, what we just experienced, what baptism is all about, is God taking a giant label with the sign of the cross, with anointing with oil, placing it right on her, and placing it on you today to say, you are mine. But beyond any other label that this world has ever, will ever stick on you, but before any other name, you are my son, and you are my daughter, and it's not just for Aurora this morning, it's for you. Don't miss that. It's no accident that you were here. Oh, I got to see a cute baptism. Actually, I got to be reminded of who I am. No matter who you are or where you've come from or what you've done this morning, maybe God had you here today for that very reason. I love how God says through the prophet Isaiah chapter 43, and let's read this nice and loud together. You're the early service. You've had your coffee. You're awake. Let's read it nice and loud together. Listen to the Lord who created you, O Israel. The one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. That's baptism in a nutshell. That's Christianity in a nutshell. You are a son or daughter of God. There is nothing that you have to prove to earn God's love as your father. There's nothing that Aurora needs to do. She doesn't wake up in the morning. She doesn't have a full-time job right now. She's not getting a lot of chores done around the house. There's nothing she needs to do. Her parents loved her simply because she's theirs. Parents, think about that. You love your children not because they've earned your love, but because they belong to you. If you think about it, labels are very powerful, aren't they? Names are very powerful. I just want to try this just for fun. On the count of three, I'm just going to have all of you yell out your name, and I'm not going to remember them, but God knows your name this morning. So on the count of three, just yell out your name loud and proud. One, two, three. John. Here's the cool thing. Your heavenly father just heard you. And he said, yeah. Hello, son. Good morning, daughter. I'm right next to you this morning. Parents, I don't know if you remember the first time that you held maybe your first child and you got to say their name and and declare that over them. I remember with Caleb, our our firstborn, our eight-year-old, the first time that I held him in my arms and I was able to say that Caleb Lee Annenson. It was a powerful moment. It was like I was declaring a truth over his life. 
That, 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 that you are, and every, every single night I remind him, Caleb, you are a mighty man of God. Caleb and Joshua were, were part of the mighty men of God that were spies, that risked it all in this story in, Old Test, in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers. And so I declare that over him. You, you are Caleb. You are a, a mighty man of God. And I never want you to forget that. I'm, it's not just a name. It's an identity. And parents, you didn't choose the name for your kids on accident. You chose it for reasons. Caleb, you're a, you're a mighty man of God. This is who you are. And I never want you to forget that. The problem is we do. All of us do, and we go throughout our lives, and we take on all sorts of different identities, and here comes those name tags again. And sometimes, for better or worse, some of these, we don't get new names, but we take on new labels. We take on new identities, and we have all sorts of these sticky notes on us all over the place, and the danger is when we start to live into them. We, we don't always stop and say, well, wait a minute, that's not who I am. And some of them are positive, and some of them are more Negative in a, in, a, in a rather humorous sense. I remember playing junior high uh, basketball, which is the NBA is still my fallback career if the whole pastor thing doesn't work out. That's the direction that I'm heading. Because I mean, I was a star in seventh grade, and, and I, you know, my coach saw something in me, and he started calling me Jordan. And I remember that. It's not so much cheesy. It was like when you're in seventh grade and your coach that you love and respect calls you Jordan, I'm like, that's who I am. I'm five feet nothing. I probably weigh 75 pounds in seventh grade. I'm a scrawny little white kid from Story City, Iowa. But when I run out on that basketball court, that was the identity that was declared over me. I'm MJ, baby. I'm him. I'm like Mike. That's who I am. And we laugh and we giggle about that. And there's positive identities and affirmations that have been spoken over you in your life. Not all of you had a great father. And so when I talk about God as father, you're like, nah, that's not it. I don't believe that. Not all of you had a great mom. And maybe your, your, your parents and that father figure, that mother figure in your life looked different. It was an aunt or an uncle or a grandpa and grandma, whatever that is. But sometimes the messages are positive and sometimes they're negative. Because some of you, you got those name tags, you got those labels all over you today and you don't even realize it. And you've been believing them for a really long time. Failure. Addict. Tough guy disappointment, loser, control freak, the workaholic, whatever it is. And here's the worst thing we do with all of these different, (laughs) the real fake IDs. Here's what we do. We say things like, oh, that's just the way I am. You're 47 years old. That's not just who you are. You're living out of an insecurity that happened to you when you were 14. That's not who you are. Have you ever taken the time to peel those name tags, those labels, those, those fake IDs, those identities off and say, wait a minute, when I, when I hold this up to the truth of God's word and who he says I am, that's not who I am. And I've got really good news for you. Any of those that I just listed off that kind of stung a little bit, maybe the Holy Spirit's trying to get your attention this morning, but I got really good news. That is not from your father. That is a lie from the pit of hell and from the enemy. Your father loves you. You are chosen. You are a son or daughter of God. That is who you are. But here's the thing. We say, oh, that's just who I am. And years go on and we just start believing that what has been declared over us, positive or negative, we just kind of go along with it and we start to live like it's true. And the worst of all, we use names and we use labels as an excuse for judgment and for hatred and for violence. And I don't need to 
paint the picture for you, you know the kind of week that we've had. We're coming off Easter, and we are just riding high. We're so excited. And then, man, isn't life a roller coaster? And then last week happened. Trust me, I don't want to preach about this today. I had a completely different intro to my sermon. But then last week happened. And we're not going to stay silent about it from all the different angles and all the different people that are hurting and grieving today. We lose a state patrol officer in the line of duty. Two more young black lives taken in Minneapolis and Chicago. Another tragic shooting in Indianapolis. That's just all the ones I can keep up with in the news. It just kind of seems like a broken record over and over again. And what's amazing to me in all of these stories is how quickly labels, these names that we place on each other can come into play as maybe the reason why it happened or what I really want to focus on today is how we respond. I, I don't think there's anybody in the room today that would say, well, that, that, what happened was okay. I think we're all on the same page with that. What I'm really interested in is, as followers of Jesus, how do we respond to this? And I believe that, without a doubt, I just want to challenge us this morning that our first response should be grief. We're really not good as American Christians at not being okay. We have to flip everything. We have to put a happy spin on it. Hope Elam is a place where it's okay to not be okay. Hope Elam is a place where it's okay if you're hurting this morning, if you're frustrated, if you're angry, if you're confused, whatever it is, it's okay to lament. That's our first response, not, not our opinions, not, not I got to take this side or I got to take this side. And the world says, I got I to be over here or I got to be over here. I don't see that anywhere in God's word. Your Facebook timeline may say that. You may, you may think that. But I don't see that anywhere. Not, not, it's not time to prove a point. There's a time and a place for those things. But our response as a church family is, is grief because what un- <laughs> under whatever labels have been placed on every single one of those men and women whose lives have been lost. And it doesn't matter if they're black or white or brown or, yes, even blue. <laughs> Underneath all of those labels is, is a name, child of God. And therefore, it doesn't matter what side you're, you're on or where, how you come at this or how you vote. This isn't a political statement. This is a gospel statement. Underneath those labels is a name that says child of God. And so every single life is valuable, is matter, matters to God, and is sacred, made in the image of God. And so it's been a couple weeks not to mention the tragedies of, of these weeks, but I know that we have a lot of you that have an Asian background here in our church family. And you have to understand, this is new for me. We've been down this road before. I'm from Story City, okay? We're all learning together. To my Asian brothers and sisters this morning, I want to say, stand with you. It's not right. And I'll never understand your pain, but I want to. To my black brothers and sisters this morning, I echo that. I may never understand, but I stand with you. I may never understand what it's like. And Pastor Hurst and I have had multiple conversations about this. And this was a really hard week. And I told him, why, why don't you preach? I, I, I don't think I want to do this week. No, no, you do it. <laughs> and I want you to know that I stand with you and, and, and I'm learning. And I'm learning, and I want you to know that we are committed to being a church, to having the hard conversations. 
We're committed to being a church that's not going to avoid the tough topics because God's word addresses tough topics. When we're hurting and we're struggling, we don't know what to do, we don't know what to say, God's word speaks. I stand with you even though I don't fully understand and I want you to know that we're committed to being a church that speaks out against injustices, that speaks up for justice and peace, not just to be peacekeepers, but to be peacemakers. And sometimes when you're called to be a peacemaker and you're called to something different and you're called to something challenging like we are as a church, it's going to be hard and it's going to be uncomfortable. And we're going to talk about things in church. You're going to say, is he really talking about that in church? Absolutely, because it's an issue of the gospel. It's not a side topic. It is the gospel. It is who we've been called to be as a church. And no, we're not going to settle for diversity. I love the fact that we have a diverse church, that we're growing in that, but this is the reality. Diversity is who's in the room. That's great. That's awesome. But we're not stopping there because God has more for us. Reconciliation is what happens between us in this room and what's going on in our hearts. That's what we're after. That's what we're after, the healing and the restoration. We're committed as Hope Elam to being a living, breathing example of a beloved community, regardless of what label you have put on yourself, regardless of what label or identity that the world has placed on you, you are welcomed here and you are loved beyond a shadow of a doubt, no matter what that label is. And if, if this week, if we needed another reminder, what we are doing here as a church matters. You gotta know that. We're not, we're not playing around. We're not, we're not playing church. We're not, hey, we're going to come and have a worship service and sing some songs, and this is great, and we're diverse. Yay! This matters. This is a matter of life and death. Eternity is at stake. God is literally changing lives forever. We're making heaven more crowded. What could be a more important than mission than that? People are hungry. People are hurting. People are desperate. <laughs> A divided nation, a divided city, divided people are desperate for a unified church, and that's what we are committed to being here at Hope Elam. Not just when it's on, on your social media feed, not when it's just popular in the news. This isn't a ministry of the church. This is who we are as a church. And so we weep and we hurt because... We're family. It's all over scripture. Romans 12, you certainly have heard of that one. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Oh, we do that a lot. We don't take ourselves too seriously around here at all, but we're also called to mourn with those who mourn. We're not strangers. You may not know everybody in this room, but we're family. This is just like a big old family reunion, right? And you got some weird, crazy uncles and aunts over there and like cousins over here you don't really talk to, but we're family. We may not like each other all the time. We may not agree on everything. We may not vote the same way, but we are called to love each other because we're brothers and sisters. We are family, and I'm not going to start singing Aretha for you because that'd be a train wreck, but you can sing it in your head. We are family. I've got all my brothers and sisters with me. And here's the thing. When somebody in your family is hurting, you stop and you hurt with them. You don't get defensive. You don't try to prove your point. You stop and say, my family is hurting. So I'm going to weep with you. And Jesus did this exact same thing. He weeps at Lazarus' funeral. Right before he enters Jerusalem for his final week of ministry, life on this earth in Luke 19, it says, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw it and he wept over it. Of all the ways that the God of the universe could respond to the hurt and the brokenness of this world, he doesn't come down and snap his fingers, I'm going to fix it all. He enters into our pain and he weeps with us. 
And so number one, we grieve, and number two, we pray. And let me set the record straight. Prayer is the most active thing that you can do. Prayer is the most powerful thing that you can do. If anything, if anything, prayer is far from being some passive activity. It is the most important thing you can do to call upon the only one that is capable of healing our world and our nation to get down on your knees. Nothing could be more important. And so we will continue to do that as a church, but that leads us down the mountain. What I love about this story is that Jesus doesn't stay up on the mountain. Yes, we grieve, and yes, we pray. And he could have stayed up there and said, oh, it's too messy, there's sin, it's too broken, it's too dark down there. But he walks down the mountain, and if we're going to be a church that follows after Jesus, we're called to walk down the mountain as well and have the tough conversations and talk about those in our Be the Bridge classes and have genuine, authentic relationships with people that are not like us. We're not called to stay up top where it's easy and comfortable. That is not the offer of Christianity. The offer of Christianity is to change your life forever, for now and eternity. It's not to make you comfy and cozy. Sorry, that's not the offer. And so we walk down the mountain with Jesus, and we enter into the brokenness of this world, and we take action, because that's what Jesus did. And what is it that drove Jesus down the mountain? Compassion. A lost art these days for the church. Far too often we're known for what we're against, rather than what we're for. Compassion. Simon Sinek, some of you have heard me say this before, but Simon Sinek is a, is a professional speaker and author and kind of leadership guru, and he works with Fortune 500 company CEOs and VPs all over the world. And he was recently asked, if you had to boil down leadership to one characteristic, what would it be? Above anything else, can you guess what it would be? You know what he said? Empathy. Empathy. The ability not just to feel pity or to feel sorry for somebody, but to walk beside them and feel their pain. Not to agree with them on everything. Not, 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 I'm not saying you have to compromise your beliefs, but having the humility to love. I mean, you know how it goes. They'll know we are Christians by our defen- defensiveness, right? They'll know we are Christians by our what? Love. By our what? Love. Our love. Not getting it right all the time. Not having it always be nice and pretty and put together by our love. Jesus comes to each of us and says this morning, you are more than the labels that have been placed upon you because it's hard to love from a distance. And that's what we've been learning as a church this last year in our groups, in our classes, and the way that we've come together as, as two churches. Something that we've discovered is this. Proximity leads to empathy. It is really hard to love one another from a distance. Proximity leads to empathy. And I'm not just talking about physical. I'm talking about emotional connections. I'm talking about spiritual connections. Because it's much easier for me, whatever label you want to put out there, whatever group of people you're against or for today, it's much easier to dismiss a label than it is somebody with a name. You know, John, you know, all the the homeless people, you know, they're all, you know, they're all like that. Well, yeah, but I have friends that are homeless that sleep under bridges. And his name is, his name's Jerry. So it's not, no, just all the homeless people. You know, all the, all the black people, all the, all the white people, you know, all the, all the, 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 the cops out there, they're, they're all like everybody on the left, everybody on the right, all the, the Asian, all the Latinos, whatever it is. And the problem with that is that <laughs> you're my brothers and sisters, Every single one of those groups I just named is in this room right now. 
you're my family. You're my brothers and sisters. You have a, you have a mom and a, and a, and a dad. You have a, you have a story. You have a name. And, and that label that the world has placed on you is not the truest thing about you. Because the reality is that, that we cannot love someone beyond the label that we assign to them. You cannot love someone beyond the label that you assign to them. Jesus dwelled in relative obscurity for the first 30 years of his life. Do you ever wonder what he was doing? I think he was learning people's names. I think he was crying with people and laughing with people and building relationships because proximity leads to empathy. And so when we love like Jesus, when we love like that, we can say black lives matter, period. Why? Because they do. And we don't need to put an asterisk on it. As Christians, we don't have anything to prove in that. We don't need to get defensive in that. We don't need to take sides in that. Do all lives matter? Of course all lives matter. But we can say black lives matter because when there's a group of people that you're surrounded with, this family that's hurting, you hurt with them, and it stops right there. It's time for empathy and care, not perfect rhetoric at that time. I'm convinced of that. And it also allows us to say blue lives matter. Why? Because they do. And I know that we have multiple officers former and current, in the line of duty, in our church family that are listening to my words right now and hear me say this, we love you. We are so thankful for everything that we do. We love you so much. We want you to know that. The world says that you got to be over here, you got to be over here. I don't see that in God's word. That's not how I'm choosing to live and that's not how we're called to live as a church. We're so grateful for you and we love you. And I just wonder, what if Christians instead of being known for winning arguments? What if Christians, instead of being known for winning debates, what if we were known for being the safest place in the world to grieve? What if we were known for being people that prayed like none other? What if we were known for being people that, that step into, and, and we're willing to have the tough conversations? What if we're known as the people, man, they serve like no other. They listen like no other. They love like no other. I don't necessarily agree with them on everything. I don't believe everything, but man, I've never been so loved in my life. I've never been so served in my life. Nobody's ever listened to me. Nobody's ever let me cry. Nobody's ever not tried to fix me. That's what I want to be known for. They know we are Christians by our what? By our love. Thank God we have a Savior that comes to us when the world is broken and messed up. He comes to us, and at just the right time, hope appears. Hope appears right on time. I'm ready to be done with that portion of the sermon, so we're going to go to the text for today. John chapter 21, hope appears right on time. And the beauty of this is that these, this, this idea of the labels, they don't go away. Jesus calls you by name today, just as he did the disciples at the sea that day. If you got your Bibles, open up to John chapter 21, and we're going to find how this idea of the power of names and labels isn't just in our new cycle today. It's for every single one of us. It's the deepest and truest thing about us. Whether you got your Bible app, whether you have your Bible, I want you to open up to John chapter 21. We started this sermon series last week. Pastor Hurst opened us up with the amazing story of Thomas and how that label of doubter fell right off when he experienced his risen Savior. But hope appears right on time. Just when we think that all hope is lost, Jesus shows up. And we're looking at these stories the next several weeks of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. And you all know a couple weeks ago, hopefully this isn't new news, uh, you know Jesus is alive, right? Jesus didn't stay in that tomb, right? He's alive and we worship a risen Savior 
You know that. You know Jesus is alive. Do you ever know what Jesus did after he came back from the dead? How about helped out with a little fishing party? Let's take a look. When Jesus shows up, everything changes. Hope appears right on time. So some of you that might be new to the Bible or new to this story might be wondering what in the world is going on. So they've seen Jesus. They know he's risen from the dead. They don't know where he is. And so we pick up the story in John chapter 21, verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples, again, notice that, beside the Sea of Galilee. So in other words, the boys have gone fishing. I mean, can you really blame them? They've had a roller coaster week in the same way that we've had a roller coaster week. They've seen their best friend go from hero to crucified to resurrected, and now they don't know exactly where he is, and maybe they're not sure what to do, or maybe they just need to clear their heads. And what we're going to find in this story as we walk through this quickly is three big shifts in their identity, three big labels, three big names that need to be changed for especially Peter in this story. And so we pick it up in verse 3. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in a boat, but they caught nothing all night. If you're a fisherman and you don't catch anything, that's not good. You don't have a business. You don't have an income. Verse 4, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows. I just love that. Maybe he said that. Hey, dudes. Hey, guys. I don't know. Fellows, have you caught any fish? Now, of all the ways that Jesus, we need a little bit of humor today. Just go with me for a second. If you don't read the Bible and laugh once in a while, you're not reading the Bible correctly, okay? Of all the ways that Jesus could have showed up, he's the most victorious person in the history of the world. He's literally just conquered sin, death, and the power of hell. And Jesus could have walked up and said, behold, I am the risen, resurrected Savior. I am here. But what does he do? He walks up with his hands in his pockets like a tourist and says, "Uh, hey guys, uh, how's the catch going this morning? Like, who is this guy, right? Who does that? (laughs) A friend. A friend. And what do friends do? They tell jokes. They have inside jokes. They tell stories with each other. So watch what happens next. Verse 5. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple that Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And scholars have debated this for centuries of how was it, was it that? What was the reason in that moment that he knew that it was in the Lord? If you know your Bible, you go back to Luke chapter 5. These stories parallel each other. And there's a mere story in Luke chapter 5. This is how the friendship started. This is when Jesus first called them and they weren't catching any fish. Jesus says, throw it to the other side and they get this whole haul. So this is a inside joke. Jesus is like when you get together, hey, remember that one time 12 years ago when we went camping and I caught a fish this big, right? This is what friends do. And so Jesus is bringing them back to that story. And this is the first shift that Jesus is making for the disciples that day and the first shift that he's making for us. He's reminding us, I no longer call you strangers. I call you friends. From strangers to friends. You guys aren't random fishermen anymore. Friends of God. God says, I have chosen you. I have called you by name. You are mine. He knows your name. Turn to your neighbor and say, he knows my name. Yell that out. He knows my name. He knows your name. Take off the old label and put on the new. 
You're not robots. You're not some anonymous person in the crowd today. You are a friend of the God of the universe. Take off that old name tag that says anonymous churchgoer, that says stranger, that says disconnected or far away from God. It's that song that we sing at Hope Elam on a regular basis. I am a friend of God over and over to remind ourselves of that. Now my favorite part of the story, verse 7. When Simon Peter heard that he was the Lord, you saw this in the clip, he put on his tunic. I I love, John is writing this several years later after Matthew, Mark, and and Luke are written. And so John gets to add in in his gospel all these other details that the other gospel doesn't. So Peter was naked and he needed to put his clothes on before he jumped in the water to see Jesus. And that's very courteous of him. But why in the world would you jump off your boat in the middle of the lake and leave everything when the one that's changed your life is standing before you? When the one, the one that's changed your life is standing on the shore and, and when I see this picture, I can't help but think of another fisherman and you're never going to forget this story in John 21 because that other fisherman is none other than Forrest, Forrest Gump, that when he sees his captain, his leader, he does the exact same thing. Take a look. I'm pretty sure that when Peter jumped off his boat in John 21 and he went to talk to Jesus on the shore, that thing probably just plowed right into the dock and Peter said, Jesus, that's my boat. I mean, I'm telling you, I think the Forrest Gump people read some John 21. I, I, I don't know, but what would, uh, what would propel you, what would motivate you to jump off your boat and swim to shore when Jesus is more important than your job? When Jesus is more important than your hobbies? When Jesus is more important than your priorities when he's changed your life, what kind of a person jumps in? Somebody like Peter that has remembered their mission. And that's the second shift in identity, the the label that Jesus wants to change for Peter that day. Go ahead and go back to the next slide. From mundane to mission. Peter could have stayed there. When when Jesus originally found Peter, he was a dirty, stinky (laughs) Nobody. He was a a fisherman. And who knows, if Jesus doesn't show up that day, maybe Peter just goes back to his old label. He goes back to his old name. I'm just Peter. I'm just a fisherman out here. Nobody knows my name. I got no significance. And then when Peter sees Jesus, he remembers who he was. I'm a fisher of people. I'm an evangelist. I'm a missionary. I'm on a mission. And you and I think we have to go everywhere else looking for our identity and who we are. When the reality is this, it's only when we see Jesus for who he truly is that we discover who we really are. You don't need to go looking to try to find who you are. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. He'll tell you who you are. And for you this morning, I don't know what relationship, I don't know what habit, I don't know what addiction, I don't know what identity that you keep running back to thinking That's, this is the only way I, I know how to live. This is the only way I know how to be happy. This is the only way I know how to be okay. I don't know whatever it is that you're running back to, but Jesus declares to you this morning, I've already called you out of the boat and you don't need to go running back to your old life, to your old name, to your old label, to your old identity because I've already called you out of the boat. So run to Jesus like Peter. Jump out of the boat. Swim, walk, crawl, dive. Run to him, whatever you have to do this morning because when you encounter Jesus, everything changes. Jesus says, that's not who you are anymore, Peter, and that's what he says to you this morning. That's not who you are. You're a son or daughter of God. Don't go running back to the the old ways, to the old ways that you used to see life, the old ways that you used to think. You have a purpose 
and a mission. It's not to stay on the sidelines of faith. It's not to stay in the boat, Peter. It's to jump off and swim to Jesus. Some of you, some of you are leaders. It's time to start leading. Some of you are awesome with kids and the next generation and youth. Start investing in the next generation. Some of you in this season of life, God, God is blessed with time. Jump off the boat. Run to Jesus. Get in the game. Get off the sidelines and start serving. God has wired you up for that. You are not created to consume. You are created to dive in the water and run to Jesus. It's time to dive in. But I would be remiss if I left it there. Those were the shifts. But there's a third shift, and it's from my power, Peter learns, to his power. You ever wondered why of all the different ways that Jesus could have done this, he could have just said, hey, here's a few fish. I'll just have them on the shore waiting for you. Why did Jesus do it the way that he did? Why, why a whole catch of fish? Why 153 fish? Could it be this can't-miss reminder for us this morning that Jesus will always be enough? Why did Jesus ask that question? Hey guys, you caught any? He knew the answer. He knew the answer. Or maybe it was to make the disciples realize their complete inability to do it by themselves. And he's telling us the same thing this morning. Whatever role you find yourself in this morning, you don't have to have it all together. Mom, dad, husband, wife, Grandpa, grandma, aunt, uncle, friend, employee, small group member, whatever it is. Some of us are walking around with this burden and this giant, hello, my name is label on us that says, I am enough. And God says to you this morning, isn't that just exhausting? You don't have to carry that weight and that burden. Make the final identity shift. My power to his power from I am enough to he is enough for you this morning. He is more than enough because the, the, the miracle with fishing that day wasn't, was it on the left side or the right side? It was, are we going to do ministry with Jesus or without Jesus? And Hope Elam, this cuts directly to who we are as a church because these headlines in the news, God, I pray there's no more. But there might be. And we live in a broken and hurting, lost world. And I can tell you there's not a week that goes by that Pastor Hurst and I don't look at each other and say, there's no way we can do this on our own. <laughs> We're just not strong enough. We're not smart enough. We're not cool enough. We're not hip enough. But thank God that being the church isn't about having great music and lights and sound and smoke in a giant building. We're desperate for Jesus. We're desperate for Jesus. We need him more than anything else. It's not about our power. It's about his power through us. That's what we've been called to do. Amen? Yeah. It's about Jesus. What's his name? Yeah. What's his name? Yeah. And he is the only one that can change that label from lost to found for you today. From dead to alive. From apathy. Or maybe this is your first time back to church in a long time. To passionate about Jesus. From guilt and shame to confidence. To run to Jesus. To jump off the boat. To follow him with everything that you've got today. It's about his power. He is enough for us this morning. We are desperate for him. We continue to be and we will always be. It always has been and it always will be about Jesus. What's his name? Jesus. What's his name? Jesus. Let's stand and let's worship and let's sing about it together.